Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Drew Shulman. And I'm Marie Vigourou. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 7, Episode 2, Hello, Cruel World. Let's get this show on the road. And no, it's not a cruel summer. It is a cruel world. The second I saw this episode title, I'm like, how is she going to get a cruel summer joke in here? <laughs> it took you less than a full sentence. <laughs> okay, but then before we get into the cruel world, we just have a little bit of housekeeping. And we, we really want to start off by, by saying how grateful we are for like how much you guys have loved Rochelle's faith print. I mean, every time we launch something, we never really know how it's going to go. And so far, like, it's really three for three. So, like, huge thank you to everybody. And as a reminder, it's available on our Etsy store. And if you're a patron, you get a special limited time discount. So don't wait too long. Last week, we also started shouting out people who have left us reviews on Apple Podcasts. And so this week, we'd like to thank Easy, 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 and a user called Cass and Dean. Thank you so much to both of you for leaving us such lovely reviews. We really appreciate it. And it really, really helps so much. So what did you think of this episode? Besides how it opened, which was very like, oh, that's where we're going with cast this season. Got it. I like the kind of vague introduction to this new cast of villains. I like that we have like, here's some information, but not enough to answer everything. The episode has a weird glaring plot hole. I'm sorry, paramedics came to pick up Sam and Dean at the end of the episode and just ignored the body under a car that was feet away from them? What happened? Uh, bullshit lie. Okay, let's... What is that puddle of black goo and a human hand sticking out of under a car? You know what? Not important. He's probably dead. Let's ignore him. Every paramedic ever, apparently. I would absolutely suggest that if you want to get through season seven, you don't get too bogged down by these little tiny details. (laughs) I think the important part is I've accepted that they're going to happen and they're going to like, oh, they crawled far enough away that by the time the paramedics got there, they weren't near the body. Like there's always a way to write around it. It was just, I, it was just so glaring for once that I had to say it, but yeah, no, I I figure it's, it's, it's not just season seven. This has kind of been a running theme of the show. Just like, It gets bad in season seven. I'm excited. How about you give us a recap? How about you count me down? Three, two, one, go. Cass is possessed by Leviathans, and they're all like, "Mm, we don't all fit in this one meat suit. We better go into a lake and explode. And that's the end of Cass, and all we get is his trench coat, and the most like, ugh, Dean, ugh, the sadness is so palpable. And then we're like, okay, I guess they've gotten out. We better track them down and see what's going on. And they possess a little girl and some random dudes and some swimmers. What's with the swimmers getting like just attacked by demons and shit in this show? Anyways, they eventually all group together in a hospital where they figure out they can just indiscriminately kill people and eat their organs and that's fine. But unfortunately, they pick the one hospital where a cop is that happens to actually kind of know what's going on and Jody's all like, "Mm, I'm gonna call Bobby because this seems fucked up. They call Bobby, Bobby goes to the hospital, encounters a Leviathan, We don't know what happens to Bobby, but his house gets torched, and then Sam and Dean show up. Meanwhile, Sam's been having crazy Lucifer-fueled head crazies going on here, and 
it seems like Lucifer's fake, but then comes back at the very end. And Dean's all like, I'm your bedrock, and it kind of seems to work. Anyways, they get there, fight a Leviathan, get really badly injured, and end up in a hospital, uh, an ambulance to the hospital, where the Leviathans is. Time. You know what? Like, as far as the episode structure goes, well-introduced villains, they kind of give us enough exposition to be like, okay, we get what they are, and like how strong they are, but not like, Let's just have Bobby pull out a book and read you a fairy tale about them. And of course, the whole, like, we can't find anything about them. They're super, like, not well talked about. The cliffhanger of, like, what happened to Bobby? Like, where is he? I I'm assuming he didn't die off camera, but, like, what's up? And then there's still this, like, mysterious boss character that we don't know about in Leviathans. But also, like, just Cass is gone. Like, I... I again, I know he's not gone, 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 but, like... It exploded. I want to be super clear about that, but Cass dies. There's no part of me that's denying he died. I'm not like he's secretly still under the water holding his breath all this time. He's dead. He, he dead. Dead, dead, dead. He gone. He gone. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in story time when we talk about Cass, but we really have to work under the assumption here that Cass is dead, 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 not coming back. I, I'll do my best. <laughs> This episode was written by Ben Edlund, directed by Guy B, and originally aired on September 30th, 2011. The interesting thing about the way that Cass dies is that he dies while oozing black goo. Yes, which I guess we're now very distinctly tying to the Leviathans as a species? Creature? Thing? Yes to all of this. And I can't believe I'm about to say this, but it's not actually the last time that Black Ooze is going to be responsible for Cass's death. You can't tell me to believe he's fully dead and then tell me he dies again later under the same similar circumstances. But yes, I know what you mean. <laughs> no, you don't actually. And I want to be really clear about that. It's because like, and I've mentioned this before, but Cass was supposed to die in this moment forever and never come back to the show. So you will never, you as somebody who is watching the show in 2023, will never understand the turmoil that people who were watching at the time were in when they realized that Cass was just not going to be on the show anymore. Because I know we've discussed in the past he was only supposed to be there for a short time, and there were attempts to write him off the show before, or he was never supposed to become a mainstay. So knowing... So I did not know that going into this episode that this was supposed to be Cass's finale and he was written off the show as of this moment. Absolutely. That, I don't think, changes what I expect of this season, but it gives me a better frame of reference. So that's why I don't want to give you too much detail about that, but we really have to work under that assumption that for the foreseeable future, we're not seeing Cass again. And frankly, like we're not seeing Cass for a good long time. Well, I guess we can modify story time and take him out. <laughs> it's the last time for a long time that we're going to have Cass in story time. We see Dean picking up and presumably like keeping Cass's trench coat. So we'll just keep that in mind. We get a glimpse into the Leviathans. They're like these big mouthed monsters who can basically transform into whoever they touch. And they can also take the memories of the people that they transform into. And there also seems to be a hierarchy between them, right? And, of course, they eat people. Or at least an organ is a snack now and then. 
they're the ones who are oozing the black goo, like, or they're the ones that are like their blood or whatever, they're made up of that like black goo. And that's your answer about the title card, basically. We see Sheriff Mills again. Uh, so we got to love a Jody episode. I certainly do. I'm embarrassed how long it took me to realize it was her. Oh my God, me too, though. The first time I watched, I was like, who the fuck is this? And it's really funny because in the story, Bobby doesn't recognize her either. He's like, who? Yeah. Who? And on, But like uh, from a production standpoint, it makes so much sense because we hadn't seen her in a really long time for one. And for two, like, I don't know why, but without the sheriff uniform at the time, I did not recognize her. And so I was really thankful that like, there was this this interaction between them, even though when you think about it now, like it doesn't make sense that Bobby wouldn't recognize her. Like he knows her. Well, even that I can argue away, which is the fact that like how often do they interact that much, especially over the phone and like would call him out of the blue like that. Like it's probably not a usual, if ever a call, but it literally took until she was like being suspicious that I was like, wait a second. And I paused and like check casting. And I was like, oh, it's Jody. Okay. Suddenly this scene right now makes sense. Cause I'm just like random woman in a hospital being like weirdly brave and like looking into this thing. And then it was like, oh, it's Jody. Of course she's gonna look into this shit. Uh, Hector, one of the Leviathans burns down Bobby's house. I'm also going to share more thoughts about that in critical time. Sam's hallucinations of Lucifer are getting worse. And there's one point where Lucifer calls him a bunk buddy. So we're not going to go into this today, but I do want to highlight it because in a situation with this much power differential and Lucifer being Sam's torturer, basically calling him a bunk buddy, uh, to me, that's a threat or like a reminder of sexual violence. Oh, yeah, that's exactly how I took it. Um, But also, like, like you said, his powers seem to be escalating. We are seeing him, I mean, effectively tricking Sam into driving somewhere, making him think that Dean drove him somewhere because... Again, I'm under the assumption that Lucifer is 100% not physically interacting with the world. So that so I don't think a hallucination physically drove a vehicle. Sam drove it, but that Lucifer made him think Dean was driving a different vehicle. Like that is pinnacle powerful brain stuff. Yeah, it's psychosis, right? And then the episode ends in a bit of a cliffhanger with Dean and Sam being transported to the hospital where the Leviathans are wreaking havoc. But also, like, we don't really know what's going on with Bobby. Like, we don't know if he's alive or dead. Exactly. I think this is, like, the most cliffhangery of an ending we've had without being, like, a finale in a while. Super pumped for the next episode because I want to see them get to the hospital. How are they going to get out? Are they going to actually stop the Leviathans or at least put a stop to this hospital shenanigans? Where's Bobby? Where's Jody? Interestingly, this is also not the only episode this season that ends in a really, 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 really gripping cliffhanger. Our theme this week is falling apart, which is a phrasal verb, thank you very much, that refers to something being in such bad condition that parts are like breaking off. Uh, and in the more figurative way, it's basically to have so many problems that it is not possible to exist or function anymore. Now, this episode is full of that, and I'm really excited to get into it. But I did also look up the etymology of the word apart, and it comes from Latin aparte, which means 
to the side, which obviously then got me thinking about like falling to the wayside or even perhaps wayward. And I just find it incredibly poetic that the phrase falling apart would be like in any way connected to a word that's so important, like as part of the ethos of supernatural through the song in in particular, like carry on wayward son. Carry on my wayward son who has fallen to the wayside or falling apart, you know? I mean, these etymologies just get better every week. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Why don't you get us started with Dean? Yeah, poor Dean is doing as good a job as he can holding himself together. Ironic that he is showing more hubris this week than he did last week in attempting to power through and show no signs of cracking. That is until he cracks. Dean seems to finally fall apart right at the end when they discover the torch remains of Bobby's home. No sign of Bobby. And we get, for the third time this series, unless I'm missing one, Dean calling for help and basically leaving a message. First was in season one with episode Home when he calls John. And then we kind of see it again in season four, episode 18, Monster at the End of This Book, when he prays to Cass in like a, are you listening? I'm leaving you a message. So we kind of see this moment of Dean breaking or falling apart or like reaching an end and reaching for someone he hopes can help him, even if it is just to leave them a message and like hope they eventually respond. You know, I cannot tell you how much I hate this. <laughs> <laughs> like, I love it, but I hate it. Like, it's it's so sad, you know, like I, I feel also, like, there are a lot of parallels in this episode between, like, the Kripke era and the Gamble era, and I don't personally want to compare them because I think that they're just so different, but it's almost like this season is trying really hard to get us to do that because, yeah, you're completely right. Like, I think that the... I, and I'm going to focus more on the John phone call and the Bobby phone call because I think that the difference here is that in Home, Dean wasn't allowed to fall apart in front of John, and he did anyway. With with great guilt and shame, if we remember um, correctly. But here, Bobby has basically been, like, nagging him for the entire episode, saying, you know, like, it's okay to be falling apart right now, like, at least a little bit. And I, I sort of feel like this phone call and the voicemail that Dean is leaving to Bobby, like, he's allowing himself, like, he's taking the invitation from Bobby and allowing himself to fall apart a little bit. The action of falling apart and reaching out for help is done to both of them at some point. But one of them had invited it earlier and it's now being done almost as like, I regret not doing this sooner when you were here to listen to me versus with John, where it felt a lot more like you would not approve this. So I have to do it in a voicemail because you would never do this in person. Yeah, and I mean, the difference here is is emotional availability and, and I would argue also toxic masculinity. And so that's very, very linked to who is allowed to fall apart and at what time. I'm realizing more and more, I think Bobby is like one of the best icons of like breaking the cycle of toxic masculinity. Like while he has some of his like, it still lingers, we see that he does allow himself things that would normally not be considered masculine. Like we've admitted, he's admitted to his like going for pedicures and manicures and like watching that kind of, the kind of like non-manly TV. So while he might not outwardly discuss it, he embraces it still. And I think that's a great step forward. You're absolutely right. And we are going to find out this season, actually, that Bobby has like figuratively broken a lot of, of generational curses in his time. So like, 
Ooh, I'm excited. Hell yes, Bobby. Uh, back to Dean for a bit. Dean seems to rely so much on the people around him being okay as his, like, barometer for if he's okay. He, he really, he, like, looks at Sam's okay, Bobby's okay, Cass is okay. No matter what, then, I'm okay because I have my three besties. So when Sam is kind of at the end of his uh, mental fortitude, Cass is a puddle of black goo in a lake, and Bobby is gone and his house is burned down, that is kind of Dean's moment to go like, oh, I have no support system anymore, and I can't hold myself together anymore. And that's when he really begins to break down. Right, okay, so there's two things. Like we mentioned, in this episode, he loses Cass, and we can't really understate how important that is, because, again, he doesn't know that... We know that Cass is eventually coming back, because we know that Misha Collins continued with Supernatural until season 15. But, like, Dean doesn't quite know that yet, right? Like, so, he we, we have to really work on the assumption that he has lost Cass. And he's also realizing that Sam is seeing Lucifer, and now he's thinking he might have lost Bobby. So, like, just one of these things, I think, would be enough to have most of us, like break down a little bit and fall apart. Now, the other thing that I want to talk about is when it comes to Dean, like how many times he says, I'm fine in this episode. And I like when you said like, he relies on the people around him, but I don't think that this, I don't think he's fully conscious of that. Like, I think that this is something that happens from childhood because like, even Bobby calls him out on it. He's like, oh yeah, right, you're fine. Like, and, and and Bobby doesn't believe Dean. And I don't think Dean believes Dean, you know, it's one of these things where you can't really trust what he says. Again, like, I think that he's reaching for coping mechanisms that he developed earlier in childhood where, like, he always had to be fine. And he, he was relying on, like, whether or not John was fine in order to know if he was fine. He was saying he was fine even when he wasn't, even when he was, like, a little boy who was sad or scared and like he had to be fine because he had to take care of his little brother and he also had to save face in front of John. Even though it's Bobby in front of him and not John, like the situation must be so triggering for Dean, like in so many really profound ways. To even pull an example, I mean, we talk about times when Dean was like the most scared or most worried or most like shaken and we can pull an example of, pardon my lack of remembering episode titles and numbers, but when they both experience their own version of heaven and the whole Sam running away thing and just how much that hurt and like wrecked Dean. And it was because things in the home weren't fine anymore. The people around him were falling apart. So he fell apart. Speaking of Sam, uh, Sam's breakdown is much more visually apparent this episode. Uh, and as you've stated previously, this kind of leans heavily on his existing fears, which we saw in uh, Sam interrupted the, Sam falling apart when he truly can't discern reality from these illusions, or so we are led to believe. I keep, I feel like I have to keep saying like alleged. <laughs> yeah, you keep saying that. I don't know why, but like it. Yeah, I'll go with it. Whatever. I would not put it past this show in some insane way to like surprise this actually was this this whole two season arc was in Sam's head, and he's still in the cage, and Lucifer's doing all this, like. I, I don't want to nix that completely as an option because there's still like a non-zero chance that it's a thing. The whole point of the writing here is to get the audience to doubt the reality of the show. So you're you're doing well because I think that's what they want you to do. It's showing how challenging it must be for Sam to discern reality from hallucination. The fact that we're doubting it just 
highlights how difficult it is for him. And I think it's doing a really good job of it. And this is where I I, I do want to speak a little bit about uh, people with post-traumatic stress experiencing flashbacks. Because, like, when they're in the wet pipe factory, like, after Dean sees Sam shooting at what looks to him like dead air, like, he's just shooting at nothing. Dean tells him that, like, the memory of pain in hell and the reality of pain on Earth feels different. And that's when, like, he presses on the wound on, on, on Sam's hand. And that's, like, able to center him a little bit more. And there's two things here. One, there's the fact that, like, Dean is the one telling Sam this. So, like, he must have figured it out on his own. Because we did get to see some of the fallout of his time in hell, but, like, clearly not all of it, if we're getting this nugget, like, years later. And the second thing is that, like, this technique, but, like, I want to be super clear, like, not exactly this technique, but, like, using the sensations in your body as a way to come back to the present moment from, like, a PTSD flashback is actually incredibly effective. I've seen suggestions of, like, dunking your face in cold water, putting a cold water compress on the back of your neck, taking a cold shower, moving your body, like, going for a run or a brisk walk or, or like, dancing or, like, jumping up and down if you need to, like... Basically, anything that's going to give your body sensations that are stronger than the sensations that it's feeling through the flashback. So, like, obviously, this is supernatural. So they use pain, which, like, please don't. But the underlying principle is actually sound. So as you said, with this method, Sam does seem to find himself a little bit near the end after Dean convinces him that he's real and that he can pull himself back together by being grounded and finding ways of holding on. Alas, after he awakens in the ambulance, we do get a lovely reuniting with Lucifer to give us hope, but it's still unraveling him a little bit. Though tying the Lucifer return to a seizure does raise some questions, and I'm kind of curious to see if there's more to that, or if that's just a weird coincidence. I mean, I could tell you that it's a coincidence, but I know you're not going to believe me, so there you go. Sometimes I ask the question to the ether just to the listeners and you know I'm thinking about it so that when when it does or doesn't come up later, at least I can say, like, I was right. But we are going, I mean, we do need to talk about how often, like, Sam gets knocked out. And that's something that's beginning now, actually. Like, he gets knocked out a lot, like, in the next few seasons. So to keep in mind. And now let's move on to Cass for the last time in quite some time. I don't think it hit me till right now that this was probably going to be our last time talking about Cass for a while. I, like, again, kind of assumed we'd have him back in a few episodes, maybe the season finale. But I'm starting to guess it'll be a lot longer than that. But at least he went out embodying our theme very thoroughly. I mean, we only really get Cass Viathan, TM, 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 for a brief moment at the start of the episode, but he sure does fall apart, very literally. That's it. That's all we got out of him. Right. Like, he's not there for very long. And here, I do have a couple of extra notes with the whole, like, he was written off the show. Obviously, it was the wrong decision to write him off the show, right? Like, we all agree. But I do understand where they were trying to go with it. You know, they were trying to, like buckle that loop of the Icarus, uh, like, tragedy story. But as we will see, this is going to be one of the, the big mistakes of, of, this, of this season. I, I do think that we really need to treat this as if 
we don't know that he's coming back because otherwise like there's a lot of the rest of the season that's just not going to make sense in terms of like the narrative choices that the team is going to make because like keep in mind in their minds Cass is gone Cass is not coming back I will put money on the table that they will try to introduce a new Dean love interest within the next season in a bit and it will never work if we know his true love is still out there so Stuff like that. So let's let's really keep that in mind that for us, we need to assume that Cass is dead, even though we know that even though you know that there are scenes and fan edits that you know exist, but haven't seen yet kind of thing, you know, I've seen him on the blooper reel for things I don't understand yet. Again, like on the whole Icarus thing, like he does fall into the sea after flying too close to the sun. Oh, shit. I didn't even think about that. (laughs) Yes. So Cass actually finds his way to water after having had his vessel burnt off by the Leviathans. And that's where he falls apart, literally. Look, I swear, officer, I don't know anything. Like I told the last guy, it was dark. I didn't see it. Uh, Anything. I didn't see anything. Really, I didn't. Giorgio got killed. It happens. We work for shady folks. They don't care, so why should we? I take care of me for me. What do you mean, it? I I didn't say it. I didn't say anything. I I never said it. Nobody was there. Besides me and Giorgio. We went to the dock. We met the contact. We got what we were there sent for. No, they never told us what it was. They never tell us, honestly. I'm guessing it's better off we don't ask or don't know. Oh, Jesus, what the fuck, man? What is that? That? That's what was in the case? Oh, oh, shit, I'm gonna be sick. (laughs) What kind of twist? It wanted that? What do you mean by it, huh? A a monster. Look, I'm not here for games. You came into my home, didn't have any kind of warrant. I'm being nice here, and you expect me to believe some creature from a lagoon or some shit wanted this package and killed my eight you think it ate Giorgio this season is I think a season of like really big creative mistakes I was thinking about it today and I think that there are four major mistakes in this season that I can think of right now and we do get two of them in one episode the first one was killing Cass And the second one is burning down Bobby's house. We're going to talk about the killing of Cass later this season. So for now, we're going to focus on the burning down of Bobby's house. Personally, it reminded me of when the show like really gleefully burned down Harvell's in season two, the the roadhouse. And I remember at the time that we covered it, uh, we said that like, I Anyway, I know that I said that I thought it was a terrible idea. And objectively, I think I was right because like one of the things that happens organically as season three begins is that like Bobby's house starts to become base camp again. And so like they were so happy to destroy the base camp that was Harvell's, but then they created another one in Bobby's house. And now that they've wiped out this other base camp, eventually there's going to be another one that's going to be introduced. So Again, I know that this was a bad decision 
I think, anyway, to wipe out Bobby's house. And I know that the goal of this particular season is like a really big reset for the show. Like we're seeing it in the way that they killed off Castiel. We're seeing it in the, the destruction of Bobby's house. But like, and we're going to see it in some of the other of the big mistakes, in my opinion. But in doing this big reset, like it ends up costing them a lot of viewers. And honestly, like it almost got the show canceled. Oh, damn. Um, I'll be honest, I'm super intrigued to learn these other two mistakes when they do come up. I'm very, like, I'm not going to start hypothesizing because that's not the kind of predictions I want to be doing here. Um, and I'll be honest, I don't have one off the top of my head. But you're right, like, to compare the destruction of Bobby's home base to Harvell's, you're right. It has that same feeling of just like, oh, you want to just get rid of a safe space. A new one's just going to have to happen. It's just, it's natural. The goal here in season seven is to strip them of everything. Do you remember when I said that Sarah Gamble would be heeding the charge to kill off all of our favorite characters? Uh Uh-oh. This week, we have a message from Lucia. Before we listen to it, we want to remind you to send us a three-minute voicemail to respond to anything we discussed today. You can use the recording app on your phone and just email us the recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com. We also want to remind you that Mary and I will be answering the question, have you ever had surgery? For our Roadhouse supporters on our Impala Talk. Stay to the very end of the episode to hear a short clip. Hey everyone, it's Lucia. I wanted to take a moment and send in some quick thoughts about one of my favorite episodes from season six, Weekend at Bobby's. I know that it's really easy to look at this episode and think of it as a one-off because of how it's structured and the content that's being dealt with. And I want to challenge that idea by discussing the very critical character work that is done in this episode, not just for Bobby, but for Sam and Dean. Because I think that the work that's done in this episode is truly foundational to, if not the rest of the series, then at minimum the rest of this season. And I also want to, in doing so, dig a little bit into what it takes to communicate and meet somebody's needs. Because the entire plot of the episode revolves around Bobby needing to get his soul back from Crowley. He needs to break his contract. That's his need. And then on the flip side of that, we have Sam and Dean, particularly Dean, experiencing a crisis with his brother. Now, communicating your needs is a skill. You, it actually is multi-steps. You have to be able to recognize your need. You have to be able to communicate the need. You have to be able to trust the people you're communicating it to and recognize that they can help you, even if you don't know how they can help you. Like in this instance, we see Dean going to Bobby saying, hey, I need your help with Sam. He doesn't necessarily know exactly what it is that Bobby can do to help him, but he recognizes that Bobby can help him, even if he doesn't know how. And again, we see that with Bobby also, like he's communicating his needs to a variety of people in the episode, not just Sam and Dean, Rufus, Jody, whoever. That's a skill. And it's a very important one. But on the flip side of that, there's the skill of being able to recognize the need of someone else and understand how you can meet it and do so without it being communicated to you. And I think that is what's important to recognize here in this episode is that that is a skill that Sam and Dean either don't have or they haven't honed to become automatic. 
Now, I think there's a really valid reason for that. In part because I think that they were raised to be incredibly self-centered for their own survival. And I don't mean it as like selfish or egotistical or bad. I literally just mean like they had to center their own needs and problems and priorities and feelings and experiences and everything to survive as individuals and as a unit. Like they've had to put themselves and each other first. That's the only way they can survive. And then expanding on that, so not just necessarily their their personal problems, but also the problems that they are responsible for solving. So hunting, cases, the problems of the people that they're trying to save, those become their responsibility and therefore their problems and their priority. That's what they're looking at solving. And then over the past couple of seasons, it's gotten even bigger than that because now they're not just hunting. They're stopping apocalypses. They're stopping global crises. So now they're not just responsible for themselves. They're not just responsible for the people they're hunting to save. They're now responsible for humanity, the planet. Like that is a huge weight to put on their shoulders. So it makes sense that all of their focus and effort and energy is going to be going into solving their problems because the consequences of not solving their problems is that the world could end like it's huge so it stands to reason that they don't have a lot of resources left to then step back from their own situation and be able to recognize needs of other people that are separate from the problem that they're trying to solve. That doesn't make them uncaring or, again, selfish or unloving. The moment that Bobby communicates to them, hey, I need your help, they stop what they are doing, they drop everything, and they help him. They step up to the plate. Like They are so willing to do whatever is asked of them. We know Dean is scared of planes and yet he goes on a cross-continental flight across an ocean just to help Bobby get his soul back like it's never a matter of willingness it's not that they don't care it's that they just aren't aware of what is going on and who needs what thing outside of the perspective of their own problems that they're trying to deal with so and I think that's a fair thing But it creates an issue, and the issue lies in what that means for the other person who has the need. So looking at Bobby in this instance, he possesses the skill to communicate what it is he needs to them. So because they aren't able to, they don't have the skills, the resources, whatever, to preemptively recognize what his need is, it falls on him to communicate that. But if he didn't, have the skill needed to tell them what it was that he needed, he's then left with two options. The first one is to rely on other people to help him, like Rufus and Jody and whoever. The second one is to rely on himself, which in this case ultimately meant he wouldn't have gotten his need met. He didn't have 
what it took on his own to get his soul back. That's why he needed other people. And if he hadn't been able to tell other people, hey, I need this, it, it just wouldn't have gotten done. He wouldn't have gotten out of his contract. So I think that's just something I want to highlight here um, because one, like what we see demonstrated is the skill that it takes to communicate your needs. But what we see with Sam and Dean primarily in this episode is that they lack the skill or the resources needed to preemptively recognize someone's needs automatically when they're not in, like when they're in a crisis. I think they have the capability to do it. And I think that they would be better capable of doing it if they weren't in a crisis because then they would have the resources to devote to that. But clearly here they don't. So all that to say, um, I'm really excited to hear your guys' thoughts on this, how you think it's kind of been demonstrated over the past seasons and what you think it means for the arc of this season. So um, I'm looking forward to your feedback. Thanks. Lucia, thank you so much for sending us this voicemail. I mean, I think I think you're entirely right. And I think, uh, first off, I just want to start off by saying I completely agree with you. I don't like it when people call uh, Weekend at Bobby's a one-off or a bottle episode because I don't think that it is. <laughs> <laughs> I I agree that I think it's it it does some really really important work in the characterization of Sam and Dean and Bobby and Jody and Rufus. Like there's just so many characters in in this episode and so many little things happen that we keep referring back to that I think it's 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 just uh, it's a bit short-sighted I believe to call it a one-off or a bottle episode. I will also say that I think we had, I think the conversation that we had in Weekend at Bobby's was was kind of similar to what you were saying in that it, I don't, I, I, I agree with you. I don't think that Sam or Dean are, are, are selfish for not immediately recognizing what Bobby needs. I think that they just, I, I think that they, they've been under-socialized because they've been so isolated by John in their childhood that they are. Uh, quite literally under socialized and they don't quite know what to do in in what moments and 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 Sam because of his experience at Stanford maybe has a little bit more of that but because he was soulless at the time I'm pretty sure that you know that went all uh by the wayside if we want to continue with our theme discussion of this week and I think that we do see and, and speaking more from like a whole series perspective, like we do see that they get much better at that as they develop more friendships throughout uh, throughout the 15 seasons. And so I think that this makes sense for an episode that happens within the first, well, in season six. But I do think that that changes uh, as as the seasons go by. Yeah, thank you for this voicemail. It's such an interesting look at the like complex relationship between different skill sets that you can have. Like you're right. I don't think there's any world in which you could say like, Oh, Sam and Dean are selfish in a traditional sense. But I think it goes a long way to say there's a difference between being someone who's good at helping others and being someone who recognizes when others need help. It, it is, it is two very distinct skill sets. And I think we have seen, just how other people around them use it. Bobby, I think, is our best example. And of course, this episode is so heavily focused on him. And again, you're right. I think even I refer to it as a bottle episode. And I think there's always the downside of you say bottle episode 
And then you look back and go, oh, but it, it, it opened up so many windows and doors that it truly could not be a bottle episode. So I rescind that comment from the history. I want it stricken from my notes. Because um, <laughs> it truly was one of my favorite episodes of that season. Oh my god, it was so, oh, everything about it. Give me more Bobby and Crowley content. What it really comes down to, like you said, is just that it's something that I feel like I almost want to say like it just comes with the right experience and training and growth. And I think, Mary, you put it really well, is they never really had an opportunity for this. And I think Bobby is in a position where he is such a seasoned hunter and so senior in the community of hunters that it's something he developed with time. Like, I imagine if we had a, what I'm still dreaming for, the Rufus and Bobby as young hunter show, we would probably not see as wise a Bobby as we have today, but we would see him grow into what we have today, which I can only hope, assuming Sam and Dean make it past, you know, 35 or 40, they become this wise and great like Bobby. Would you like to share your reflection and call to action with us? Yeah, uh, kind of fitting with the voicemail too uh, from today is uh, I can use sarcasm to deflect things I don't feel ready to deal with and seeing Bobby use it this week. Uh, actually in the reverse to remind Dean that he knows Dean's not fine. Uh, forced me to reflect a bit on my use of it to both deflect my own pain or situations or things I'm not comfortable with, but also as a remedy for other people. Like I try to use it to break tension and like bring other people joy or into something. And that isn't always the best solution. So this is one of those nice calls to action where it's, Hey, I have a skill that I think is quite good, but I think it's important to like Bobby is hopefully going to teach Sam and Dean know when to reach out for that kind of help. And when that help is the right kind of help. I love that. Thank you. And Mary, your call to action and reflection for this week. I don't like rewatching this episode because I find it really hard to watch Sam's storyline. And in the past year, like I've started really listening to the trauma that's stored in my body, uh, which I know might sound really esoteric. But what I mean is that to me, like in my own experience of post-traumatic stress disorder, like I've found myself having flashbacks without really understanding why, uh, like my body would go into overdrive and I just couldn't f really figure out why this was happening and what was causing it. I started taking care of my body more. Uh, I started going to yoga. I walk more. I drink more water. I eat more fruits and vegetables. I do actually prioritize rest, believe it or not. And maybe actually now that I think about it, like not unrelatedly, but I almost completely stopped drinking alcohol also. This took a long time, but I got really serious about this in January, and it's August now at the time of recording. I do feel better than I did last year. And so my call to action is to continue this, to continue nurturing my body, but also to keep in mind that like rest and recovery takes time. You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Drew Shulman and myself, Marie Vigourou. Thank you to everyone supporting us on Coffee or Patreon, and an extra thank you to our Bunker supporters, Katira, L, Jeremiah Thomas, and Simone. This week, we'd like to thank Lucia for their message. You can go to carryingwayward.com for the links to our merch store and all of our socials. 
And if you'd like to support us, you can become a patron or a coffee subscriber. You can also leave us a rating on Spotify and a review on Apple Podcasts. Carry on our wayward friends. No, so I haven't really had any surgeries. Uh, the, I mean, the, well, I mean, I've had uh, four teeth removed, uh, but that's that's about wisdom it. Wisdom teeth? No. Oh, okay. So you still have your no, wisdom teeth. I still teeth. have my wisdom teeth, actually. Oh. Yeah, because uh, we decided to take out my premolars because I had to. I had to take them. I had to take something out when I was younger because um, I did like there wasn't enough room in my mouth for all of my teeth. And my wisdom teeth hadn't come in. And so we decided to take out my premolars. So we did that. Uh, and then when my, um, when my wisdom teeth came in, I was like, well, if they're not in bad shape, I'd like to keep them. And to this day, I still have to fight every single time that I see like a new like dentist because they're like, oh, we, sh- we have to take out your, your wisdom teeth. I'm like, is there anything wrong with them? And they're like, no, but you have to take them out. I'm like, no, I really don't actually. 